lovely internet peoples. Yo. Yeah, let's just keep it real casual this time. What up, listeners? How are you guys been? Really? Well, that's great to hear. So anyway, welcome to the season 1.5 reflection episode. Welcome. Hey. Yay. Uh, as always, I am Trevor, 5th of Daybreak Online, and I've got the rest of the cast of season 1.5 with me. I am Alina. I think I play Belladora Wild. It's been a while, so I'm not entirely <laughs> sure about that. I'm Zach, and I don't play Clytus Logan. That's true, because I, John, aka Clovermite Online, play Clytus Logan. I don't play Finnegan Bowman. And I don't play any of those characters. Um, so let's start really, really general. Um, Lena and Zach, uh, how do you feel about Mistborn Adventure Game in general compared to uh, some other systems like D&D? Um, I like it a lot. I find that it kind of lends itself to... Uh, I don't know, more creativity when it comes to gameplay. I know that sometimes when I'm playing 5e, you can get kind of bogged down by all of the rules and the technicalities. Mm-hmm. So I like how uh, how much you can just have fun with it. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Like, especially depending on what kind of uh, DM you have in Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, it can it can really be the experience can really be bogged down with rules and rule sets and what actions you can take when in, in this, it's really nice to kind of have that. Okay. What would you like to do? I'd like to do this. Okay. Roll this. See if you're successful and that's it. Yeah. I think that, uh, especially with the way that the outcomes work where you can have different degrees of success and fail, um, that, that itself I think is much, much nicer than the whole pass fail system that D and D has. And I mean that's that's kind of how I've worked I've worked a little bit of that into my own campaign or at least I've tried to uh for Dungeons and Dragons because it it, it seems like the pass fail system is narratively boring. Like if you just barely pass it, let people know if you pass it. If you if you don't or if you or if you really succeed, add a little bit of flourish to that to make it just that little bit of something ex- uh special. And it's not something that's really come into play in our season, at least. But I really like the concept of different kind of like, quote, unquote, health pools. So like the reputation and all of that. I like that there are different um, kind of repercussions rather than just getting damaged physically. And uh, I was I was all set to have a, a reputation battle uh, come that last episode, but it just never worked out. Yeah, because you guys rolled too well on those spirit and, rolls. And as as we do, we just kind of set everything on fire. <laughs> I personally like the idea that vicious mockery can't damage you physically, but it can damage your willpower. <laughs> hmm. Vicious mockery is just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no this really is something that we haven't quite taken full advantage of in either of the seasons so far at least not the reputation battles the willpower yeah, we have not done reputation yet that, well that no, might the reputation have been something... did come into play during game of guild masters yeah that's what i was thinking like that that would have that probably game of guild masters would probably be the closest one to it oh, yeah he, he had a set reputation health compared to tot that I was keeping track of in the background. 
Oh, mm. how badly did we damage him in that? Oh, pretty dang badly. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's. I started out with him having a much higher reputation, and I was going to determine whether or not he won based on whether it went below tots. And I think he started out at like 12, and she had like 7. Um, and by the time it was done, he was like negative 3 compared to her. <laughs> TKO indeed. Uh, what's one of the mechanics that you dislike about the Mistborn Adventure game? Hmm. I'll go ahead and uh. Well, I'll go ahead and start. It's kind of difficult for me as a narrator uh, to do traditional rewards for things such as quests. Um, and I think that's something that's kind of expected of role-playing games is, you know, let's loot the room and see what we get as a reward. Whereas the Mistborn Adventure game is so focused on narrative that when I have those kinds of, oh, well, what do we get um, questions, it's a little more difficult unless there's like a specific secret that I know that you guys can find or is important to the story later on. So I, I think it would be nice to have a slight change. Um, I do like that the focus isn't on amassing wealth and magical items, but um, I I also am not the biggest fan of what I've done with giving out like negative resources as rewards either. Mm -hmm. yeah, and the idea that any inventory you pick up dies at the end of the scenario... I think hamstrings a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am like an impulsive uh, looter and um, just just a loot goblin. So uh, as a self-proclaimed loot goblin, I, I want those <laughs> Molotov cocktails. I just I want to hoard them and keep them for later, but I can't. <laughs> that must be why you were so keen to use them at the end. <laughs> yeah, just throw them all. Use <laughs> them or lose them. Let's go. <laughs> Got burned down this building Pretty or the right. next one. Yeah, and I mean that that in and of itself. Uh, while we're talking about items and things like that, like the uh, like the equipment you start with and the equipment you get, um, as far as props goes, it seems it seems to have a strict limit on that to make the characters be not like overly powerful because some of these items do have really cool abilities that you can use. Um, and I think they'd be a lot of fun in gameplay, but I feel like the game kind of limits you on those to add more narrative, uh, to the game rather than, Oh, Hey, this, uh, this character's completely min maxed. It's got this item, this item, this item. But I feel like it's got so many great items in there. It 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 be it'd be worth a lot more to just let the players have fun with those as far as as far as the strict limit on on properties that each character can have. Now there is the one thing that I don't think that we've done much with either group. Um you can switch out what props you have between missions. Mm-hmm. I just like that bulletproof vest too too much. <laughs> It's oh, it's nice. I just didn't a, know that. <laughs> but you'd have to buy them, right? No, as long as it doesn't go above your prop limit. Um, so, like for instance, Tony could uh, trade out having. Uh, I think he like he has a um, the formal clothes. Uh, he could trade that out to have like a disguise kit for a certain mission in between long breathers without having to roll resources. And then switch back. Versus if you 
wanted to have both, then you'd have to find it with resources using a bean during the mission. So it's kind of like it's kind of like Hitman, where you before you go into a mission, you select what equipment you want for that particular mission, and you basically pick things up as you go through the mission, or you're using that set that you started with. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But there's definitely instances where it makes more sense to just give you guys the thing permanently, like the dusters you stole, uh, Pinch and Finn from that uh, clothier shop very early on just made Mm. sense to say, yeah, you've got this item. And it's very stylish too. Very nicely roasted. Well, and I'm, uh, I'm sorry to leave you out of these first few questions, John, but you've answered a lot of these last time we did this. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, I can't answer these questions again. It'd be pointless. (laughs) I already gave my opinions. I don't think people want to hear that again. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so how do you two like, uh, character creation, Lena and Zach? It, it was really interesting for me because when, when in the process of creating, uh, Finnegan, um, I mean, one, it, it, Finnegan was kind of a product of what we decided as a group where we wanted to, what we wanted to do with, with our characters. Um, because at that point, um, at that point, I didn't create a terribly elaborate backstory for Finnegan um, because I was kind of in a point where uh, I, I'm i like, I, I didn't want to, because of previous experiences, I didn't want to put too much effort into the character. I kind of wanted to let the narrative see where that goes and base my character off of that. So Finnegan is very much a product of of where where we were as where we were and where we wanted to go as a group um when we initially started this. Um and as the season has gone on, I've added more quirks. I've added more uh like okay, what would Finnegan do in this situation? I've I feel like as the season went on, uh Finnegan was more created as a character. Um, and I, I feel like, uh, the narrative does allow that you can have a generalized backstory and kind of fill it out over time, which is really nice. Yeah. That was a uh, pretty much what ended up happening with Bella as well. Um, I just had some kind of general backstory notes, but I didn't have any of that stuff about her brother or her family fleshed out in any amount of detail. Um, which I, I find is kind of the, best way sometimes to go about a character creation because you know like if you don't end up using it then it can be kind of disappointing sometimes um but yeah i found it uh maybe not as detailed in terms of character creation as other games that i've played D D. um but I, I kind of like that in that you can kind of fill in the gaps yourself yeah, I think it's um, it really lends itself to give you a big picture of what your character is, so you can discover it. You know, you know the the worst thing that's ever happened to them, the thing that they want to accomplish most, and then a couple of key features about them. And I I really think that does a lot more in terms of like giving you an idea of how this character will react than some of the very hyper specific ideals that you get from D and D. Hmm. 
Uh, John, did you have any uh, any different thoughts on character creation from doing uh, Clytus as compared to Tony? Not on the creation part, no. I know I, I prepared a, to what Lena said about <laughs> preparing things and being disappointed not being able to use them. I prepared a great list of late great Pappy quotes that I've just either not had the presence of mind to use them at the right time or just didn't prepare the right ones that they ever came up <laughs> until I forced them in a few situations. Um, I kind of have a follow-up question for John, if that's okay. No, not allowed, ever. <laughs> uh, so how did it feel going from Tony, who started started with the group of characters uh to then having to create Clytus where you already knew some of what had already happened to the well roasted dusters. Uh how did it feel going into that creation process process knowing a bit of the story ahead of time? Well I didn't really. I think I'd only listened to about the first episode, maybe the maybe the second episode as well, when Trevor asked me to step in. And uh, it was very disorienting because when when I jumped into that first episode where we were all together, I was under the impression that you all had a more extensive background with uh, what's his name, the the guy that hired you for the voting, and so I I I was kind of like flying by the seat of my pants, like not sure what is or isn't understood. Uh, Trevor and I weren't quite as in sync as, as I thought we were in terms of like the background for Clytus showing up. So there were a few like mismatches between things that we kind of had to like roll with and, and smooth over <laughs> as we went or switch plans on the fly. So it was, it was kind of scary, particularly with the, okay, we have to kill Clytus <laughs> comment from Bella. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so is this character going to last more than an episode or two? Yeah, I, that that chaos definitely was stressful. Um, I, I'm not sure if there was a way we could have prepared any better for that, um, other than you know smoothing over some miscommunications. But we also weren't in a position where we could necessarily clear those up without tipping enough of the mystery um, in terms of like why Clytus was there. Not that that mystery's ever been fully cleared up, but, you know, trying not to make metagaming that much harder for uh, for Finn and Bella. Yeah. And I think probably the only other way, at least from my end, would have been if I'd heard the previous episode, but I don't think that was even ready to be listened to, right? I don't think no, you edited it I, at all I don't yet. think so. Yeah. So... I I'm I was pretty happy with how it turned out despite kind of the rough edges that we had to smooth over. You mean the rough's edges. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Um on that note, um Lena was it specifically just metagaming that decided that made you, uh you decide to invite Clytus to the group to make my life easier or was there another motivation behind that? Um, to be completely honest with you, I cannot remember, but I, <laughs> I think that, I think that there was some sort of, like, thought process that went into it. Um, Bella is a sort of person who likes to use every opportunity that she can to her advantage, 
And so um, just like off the top of my head, advantages that I can see her thinking about would be like he would have an in with the the mob. I think that we had figured out he was part of that um, previously. And so that would be kind of like an inside look into what they might be doing if she could like make that connection um, good enough between her and Clytus. Um, and I think that there were probably some other things as well that I just can't remember anymore. But um, yeah, she's just kind of that that sort of person that would want somebody like that on her side. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah, exactly. The opportunistic manipulator. Yeah, yeah, that's that's Bella. <laughs> <laughs> well, no matter what the motivations, I haven't said this yet, but thank you because that. Was a huge load off my shoulders. <laughs> Yay! We didn't kill Clytus, even though he's kind of a shady dude. <laughs> I remember thinking, "Oh, I guess I'm gonna have to create another character right off the bat again." Yeah, there were there were several well, times John and I were talking well. about it leading up to those episodes, and we're both like, "I don't want Clytus to die," but I think we both should be ready if he does. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think. It's okay, he's not a door, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think that my hope was if Bella decided that she absolutely did not want him around, that maybe Finn would be able to talk her out of it, but luckily it didn't come to that. I definitely went to pretty pretty good lengths as Clytus to try to throw signals that I was receptive to working together without actually doing the pursuing. Because Clytus would not be doing the pursuing. <laughs> that just kind of reminds me of that like tense moment where we're all in that campaign manager's office. And that's when the air kind of got cleared and it's like, okay, now we don't have to kill him. This will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that whole bank thing? You don't need to worry about something small like that. Yep, pretty much. Something small that's kept me fed for months. So on that note, um, part of why I wanted to throw the coffee thing in, aside from I wanted that to be one of his like quirks that I'd planned from the get-go, I'd also thought, okay, this could potentially be a good opportunity to signal that Clytus isn't as big of a threat to the party as they might think. Did that? Do you remember at all if that worked, or was that just kind of like, okay, this is a weird thing? Uh, that was a uh, giving fella coffee. Was that it? No, that was the him being completely addled and unable to put together two sentences until he'd gotten his coffee. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a point where there was a point when we first met him where he had to make coffee or something like that. I do remember that. And I remember like, okay, that's a thing. What I remember about that scene is that none of us could agree on whether Tavis was still in the room or not. that's true or whether he was coming back quickly or not yeah i i remember bella compared clytus to a middle-aged old woman (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember this happening but um that sounds like a comparison that i would make so i believe you (laughs) (laughs) oh it was beautiful very well delivered (laughs) so um let's talk about the season overall, uh, I know that the vast, vast majority of it was the uh, supplement quests, but 
Uh, how does everybody feel that, you know, gameplay-wise, story-wise, um, any regrets, any uh, really awesome moments that you guys liked? I thought you did a good job tying them together for being completely, like, one-off quests. I was impressed how you did manage to, to kind of, like, turn it into something coherent that flowed together well. Oh yeah, that and was then so good. It, on, kind of on that note, you brought back a lot of elements from the previous uh, supplements, um, and kind of tied them into the story at random points in time, which f- kind of uh, gave the sense of just tying everything together. Like even though these are separate missions, they're they're together in some in some way, shape, or form narratively. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of converged during that last little arc, and that was really well done. I thought. Well, thank you. Yeah. Until you see what I have planned next season. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, what was the cop lady's name again? Uh, Dahlia. Dahlia, yeah. Dahlia. Plenzer, that's it, Plenzer. right? Dahlia mm-hmm. Plenzer. Yep. The character definitely that almost don't want to wasn't. talk about robbing a bank in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> that whole bit was just great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I love the bit too where Zach was like. Well, what about Dahlia? That was a good name. You're like, hold on, no. You don't get to go back on making fun of these names. (laughs) (laughs) That made me happy. I'll have to bring Dale back at some point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know for me, as far as the the evolution of the story, it, um, it, it, it just kind of surprised me how quickly I felt like Clytus as a character was changing. Because I, I definitely played him a lot more sleazy in the first episode. And then I kind of felt like he grew into more of a real person as we went on. Particularly in the, the Hamlet... Uh, what was the name of that? Uh, Hamlet of Hammer. Or Hamlet, Hamlet of Hamallergy. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't really yeah. well uh, advertise that name that early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way with Finnegan. Like... Originally, it came out of the want to just do an Irish accent for a character, and um, that's valid. That's completely <laughs> valid. <laughs> yeah, and as as the as the season went on, and then, uh, and then you just it, it's it's interesting because, like, as an actor, you're doing as an actor, you're doing something off of a script, and you're finding those little moments where you can add character to to what you're what you're playing and then with Finnegan it's it's interesting that even though it's a completely made up character you still find those moments where he becomes less of a caricature and more of more of a living breathing thing that you've created mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like as the season went on that's 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 the same for all of our characters as we as we've gone forward is we found a moments like okay what we, we we like we know what our characters would do in specific situations and uh i feel like i feel like that's how it should be how really good role play should be mm-hmm. i was super tense going into that last arc because the thing was that i did not have any idea what bella was going to do and that was frightening to me and it went a completely different direction than i thought it would but i am very pleased with the results <laughs> yeah. It's like you're the DM of your own character. You never expect <laughs> yeah. what they're gonna do. And and it's nice that you have that kind of versatility because it's just like 
it's just like you can say, "Oh, this is what my character do," but it's 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 such it 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 shows it shows kind of like the true like narrative strength of this game that you can have those moments where you're like, "Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit!" and and you're like, what will my character do? And then it's not until the actual moment something happens that it just kind of clicks. Yeah. That kind of uh, ties into a question that I uh, asked last season. Was there a specific moment where it kind of became real for you or your character? Um, boys, do you want to go first? Because I have a lot of thoughts on this one. <laughs> I want to I want to ask a clarification question that I wish I'd asked the last time you brought that up. When you say it became real, do you mean like, oh shit, like this is intense, or do you mean more like, uh, this is this character is someone that I'm really relating to, kind of a thing. Um, either or, or something else. Like the inspiration for me asking this question last time was uh, I think it was when I had David in a separate chat, and then when I went back and was editing. Brian was like, oh, wow, guys, this is getting real. And I think it was the first time that I had really seen Brian kind of engage emotionally with his character. Hmm. So either, you know, something really intense or just a moment where, like, it really solidified, yeah, this is a character that has a piece of me in it. I'd say the, uh, I'd say for me that first moment where... I kind I did something strictly as something Finnegan would do was going into the burning building after pinch. Mm-hmm. I I feel like that moment was the strongest indicator of what I where I wanted Finnegan to go as a as a person. He's someone who protects those who protects those who are either unable to or unwilling in Pinch's case to protect themselves. Uh, if you're trying to set yourself up to be a windrunner, you're going to have to do that in game and not here. <laughs> uh the 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 uh, Stormlight Archive adventure game is not out yet. So Is that moment well, yes, when kicked down his first door in that burning building that Zack yep. really connected with him. Yep. It was density. <laughs> Door numero uno. Repost that uh, Wolverine beam. But I, I feel like as Finnegan, he has a strong desire to to protect others because of the fact that he couldn't protect his family from their own losses and hardships. And so I, I feel like I feel like I want to kind of translate that into into Finnegan as a character. Well, I think for me, in some ways, it was, it's kind of kind of the opposite. Is uh, whereas where you were talking about, oh, this is where I felt something that was uniquely Finn. I think for me, one yeah, me wake up moment for me was with um, Fella when uh, after after the initial confrontation, I I kind of realized like I ended up playing Clytus a little bit. M- the same way as I had played my D and D character from uh, that group that we, you, Trevor, and I were all part of. Oh, gotcha. Did Did you hear that we had lost you for a little bit of that? No, I did not. 
Yeah, you, as soon as you started talking, you kind of uh, faded out, and then I, uh, you only came back in when you were talking about playing it like rice. Which I'm, which I'm gl- guessing what you were talking about the wyvern moment. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I was, I was basically just saying that it was kind of the opposite for me is that I realized, oh wait a minute, I, maybe I put a little too much of myself in my characters, because uh, the fellow moment I realized kind of played out the same as. Well, yeah, the rice and wyvern moment. <laughs> it feels weird mm-hmm. talking about that because nobody else listening to the podcast is going to have any idea what the hell that means. That was such a cool moment, though. That was so cool. I'm glad I was there for that. <laughs> I, I guess maybe I should explain then. So in in uh, another, you know, non-recorded, obviously, D&D session we played, I tried to model my character after Lyft from the Stormlight Archive. and. I ended up coming up with someone that was actually, well, similar and superficial ways. In other ways, were just like whereas Lyft is very mischievous. The the character I created, Rice, <laughs> as to play on Lyft, uh, ended up being a lot more, kind of very innocent in many ways, just kind of innocent and childlike. And there was a moment where we had encountered this wyvern that was uh, injured or uh, sick. sick or I forget like what. That, yeah. Sick, yeah. Yeah. And so the rest of the party was all ready to go and fight it. And my character was like, no, we're going to go make friends. And I ended up succeeding in a bunch of roles very luckily and then recruited a pet wyvern. Which was then used in battle to awesome effect. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I think that the Hamlet going. Getting back to Lost Legends, though, that Hamlet arc was definitely very emotionally intense. I, I remember, Trevor, you had some misgivings where you were worried you'd push things too far for a bit. But I, I think you handled it well, and the frustration, I hope, the real frustration that we were experiencing in the moment, hopefully played into something that was a little bit more engaging and real for the audience than, you know, if we hadn't been kind of pushed into a corner. Yeah, I think that my uh, my feelings leaving that session um, definitely got changed a lot when I actually went back and listened to it because I, I think that was one of the it was one of those times where it was the most intense I think throughout the whole season. Yeah, with the exception of uh, the meeting with Kelson. And on that note. <laughs> Um, so that is definitely like the moment for me when it was like, oh shit. Um, because in my mind, I had definitely been envisioning a a very different sort of encounter between Bella and Kelson. Um, because I mean, that, that's her baby brother. She like doted on him and loved him to death. And so for her to hear that, her baby brother who she loves so much is voluntarily joining up with this family that has been the top of her shit list for basically her entire life. That was like that. I I don't even have words for it. Like I could feel the, the rage bubbling inside me. And so that was the moment where she was really, really real to me. And, um, yeah, it was not at all what I was expecting that meeting to be, but 
that moment where she just kind of grabbed him by the shoulder and said, you do not want to make an enemy of me. That was like, that was the big like, oh my God. Yeah, Yeah, that was powerful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't really have any more words for that. Like there were definitely moments before where I was like really enjoying playing Bella. I I like playing this sort of character and it's kind of usually what I default to as my comfort zone. But um, that moment was not so much in my comfort zone because it was very much not how I was envisioning that moment to go. But I very much like where it went. I, I didn't want to give you the opportunity to just come in and, as the White Knight, pull him out. I, I wanted to bring that whole ethical, moral conflict of this is family, but at what point does that matter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that it was going to be a lot more, like, teary emotional and that she was going to be more sympathetic towards him. But the moment that she heard that it was his his voluntary action that got him here, she just kind of snapped. And she was like, all right, well, um, I guess we're burning this fucker down, huh? I think that was uh, definitely one of my favorite scenes, like individual scenes through the whole season. Like that. That was one of the times that it really felt like a, not that we were telling a story, but that we were living it. Mm-hmm. I, I especially like how you're giving giving the speech and talking to him. And, uh, John, I really liked your timing on Clytus pulls out the Molotov, Clytus lights it on fire. Like, that really upped the sense of urgency in the scene. And... It was just, I, I really liked the way you guys played that out. Thank you. I was trying to emphasize it. I'm glad that came across. Uh, are there any other uh, individual scenes that everybody liked, or favorite arcs overall? Or any uh, anything like that? I, I, I'm forgetting the exact context of it, but there was a point, um, I, and I believe this was in the last arc, or it was either the last arc or the second to last arc, where uh, Finnegan's talking about, um, I think it might've even been the, uh, conversation with the, uh, doc, uh, the doc head, um, just, just about how to make things better for the people of the town and, um, and, uh, like, I feel like I really enjoyed exploring that as Finnegan, where he, where he sees a situation where people could potentially be put in the same situation that he's been put in. And he wants to try and help to prevent that. But on the other hand, the politics and the, and the mindset of, of a lot of these people is they just want to make it through the day. And the easiest way to do that is just to let things happen rather than stand up for their own rights. And, um, I, I feel like I can I feel like I connected a lot with Finnegan at that point as far as uh as far as and I, I I'm not even sure if I'm remembering it correctly, but I just I just remember that moment as being really poignant for me. How about for you, Jen? 
I'm having trouble thinking of specific scenes off the top of my head. I, I do know that I really enjoy the running gag of Clytus sneaking up behind people. So, <laughs> that that makes me happy every time. Mm-hmm. The, the putting them in an awkward position and coming across as really uncouth and then like giving the, the sorry but kind of not sorry but kind of sorry bullshitting afterwards to clear things up. Yeah, I, I definitely think my favorite instance of that was uh, when you ran into Gufton. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're not even going to sneak. <laughs> I think my favorite instance of that was with uh, the mayor of Hammond. Just being behind them, they didn't notice, and then like, and we're here! Speak of the devil! I mean, call us. I, I, just, I just love that it's, it's almost like it's almost like I, I I love and hate that you get away with doing that so much, <laughs> because on the one hand you're you're a giant coloss blooded, uh, and the fact that you can do that is both really cool and both really a testament to like how is this possible. <laughs> Because well, that'll be if, happening if, far if less s- frequently if, now that Trevor's ruled that the uh, Coloss dice don't apply to the sneaking. <laughs> but but yeah, as far as that goes, like uh yeah, Coloss bounty hunter, that's definitely noticeable. <laughs> well, I like how it's worked out that most of the time when Clytus is trying to do something that's more underhanded and indirect he's not as good at it. But any time that Clytus is trying to be physical or intimidating or anything that's person-to-person, interpersonal relationship-wise, he knocks it out of the park. I think the that's a way that the <laughs> dice have really contributed to developing Clytus as a character. Mm-hmm. That's true. All of the scheming and preparations with underlings have gone very poorly particularly in this that's just that's because that's bella's wheelhouse you gotta leave it to her it's true although i really enjoyed the last arc i have to say that i think game of guild masters was my favorite arc overall um mm. it was the the one mission in the supplement quests that was the least linear um it just had you know Put them in this position, let them choose, here are some things that could happen, or things that you can have them do. The wackier, the better. And I'm, I was getting excited for that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I think that we can really have fun with this. And then the very first thing that you guys do is, you know, I, I've got this incredibly open-ended, very nebulous roadmap of how this is going to go. And within five minutes of the episode starting, you're on the other side of it. And I think that set a really great tone, and there was, there's no other way I could see that going where I could have had more fun with that. <laughs> it was yeah. certainly interesting throwing me into the mix as the wild card situation. I have to yeah, say. Yeah, nowhere in the supplements does it say, oh, hey, let's join the other campaign as <laughs> I have to say that um, I think that one of my favorite side hustles that we had during this season was just absolutely obliterating that just sleazy dude. Tefs. Oh, God. Oh, good Lord, I hated yes. him so much. 
I didn't we so made much... sure he'll never work in that town again. <laughs> yeah, I didn't so much care about uh, taking down wh- what was his name, Coxworth. Uh, Coxworth. No, 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 it was Wentworth Coxby. That was it. Was, it. <laughs> it was never Coxworth. <laughs> right. Wentworth Cogsby. So I, I didn't so much care about dealing with him, but just like just as long as I could get back at that stupid idiot, it would all have been worth it. And we did, so mission complete. I think that's a testament to how sometimes it's not the big baddie that is the one that that needs to go down. It's the the underling. Yeah. It's an Emperor and Darth Vader moment. Like the whole time Darth Vader is are you don't want to deal with the Emperor. He's worse than me. Is he really? Is he really though? <laughs> yeah, I that, definitely go ahead, Trevor. Oh, that was just such a, a weird experience of, of playing Tavis. Because that it just you felt dirty afterward. He had to take a shower afterwards. <laughs> Just to get the, the imagination of so much Axe body spray off me. <laughs> Speaking as someone who used to wear Axe body spray <laughs> quite frequently. Ah, uh, middle school, I do not miss you. <laughs> Can't relate. So I don't know if anybody else has like a favorite quirk about another character, but I think my favorite thing about Bella is that she, out of you know anybody else in the rest of the planet, has the ability to make her manipulations that much more easy to do, and half the time she just doesn't use her rioting. And she it doesn't just, need to. Exactly. I think that's really funny, and uh, it's it's an interesting interesting dichotomy that you know Bella is this ruthless person, but is also very calculating, you know, kind of like the swordsman who moves just enough so the blade misses them by half an inch. Like, it feels like Bella has developed that sort of battle sense when it comes to social interaction, and I am a huge fan of that. I'm so mm-hmm. glad. I love that analysis of her. It's very, very on point. I don't know if this specifically counts as a quirk, but I absolutely love the running gag of so the conspiracy is about tourists in the Hamlet. <laughs> I hear your friend whispering through the door. Yeah, I was gonna say particularly that that scene where like Bella's like, "Okay, let me do the talking," and Finn's like, "Yep, got it." And before she can even start any conversation, he's like, "Remember to bring up the tourism from down the hall." Clearly audible for anyone to hear. Yeah, Finnegan's not the social manipulator. <laughs> and I love that for him. Mm-hmm. He's he's socially awkward and blundering and just somehow gets enough of it right that he can m- get his get himself out of situations. And he's he's just like barely competent and it's great. <laughs> I kind of love how that comes off though when you're playing him because especially when you do find those successes, it from what I'm remembering it as, it always tends to be those moments where he's being particularly earnest about something and not like super like sneaky or whatever like Bella is, but just those moments where he's being very honest and um mm-hmm. I think that that really suits him as a character. That that does remind me of uh, in Hamlet of Hemelurgy when he 
when I finally, when in my mind, I finally figured out what the heck is going on and tourists have nothing to do with it. <laughs> Tourism but was that a red moment, herring the whole time. But that moment where he's uh, talking down uh, uh, Belle, Belle Saray, and trying to get the coax the information out of her. Like, that's not Finnegan's strong suit at all, but he has that he kind of has that real conversation where and it just it just happened to really luckily be successful because player me had figured it out but i still had to coax it out of out of bell the character before before we could continue the narrative Mm -hmm. and i couldn't just say hey guys this is what's happening because that wouldn't be true to the role play that whole progression was wild. I was uh, I was talking about it while we that were was in the Belladora middle of the um, middle of the story arc. Uh, while Anthony from Adventure Incorporated was streaming, I was talk chatting with him about DMing, and I'm like, they're they're doing everything right, but in the wrong order. <laughs> and that was just like I I I was guessing the whole time where that was going to end up. Because you 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 instantly like went to the right answer without knowing the context of what that answer was, and that was really interesting to me. That yeah, intuition. I think that it, just Bella in particular, she immediately connected the dots between all of this stuff happening as soon as Belle showed up, and then she was like, "Well, that's obviously your answer. So, like, why aren't we doing anything about it?" Completely ignoring the fact that she doesn't have any other evidence. And that's not really gonna cut it. Hey, we aren't cops. <laughs> well, and it, it came very, very close to sinking you guys. Yeah, yeah. The um, confrontation with the townsfolk—that was probably the best outcome you were going to have. Mm-hmm. Fair. That's fair. Uh, I do have one question from a listener, and it is for Clytus. Uh, he would like to know where Clytus's blood comes, or his Colos blood comes from. Feel free to oh. uh, LAFO that if you want to. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't I don't know if I can really answer that without spoiling things. And I think I know exactly who asked this, because he asked it in the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Nod to that theorist guy who's been one of our faithful listeners from the beginning, a.k.a. that violin guy. <laughs> well, what I can say is that... Um, his father is also uh, half coloss blooded, and that his mother is full coloss blooded. Hmm. So it's so it's not the late great Pappy. I mean, he he does presumably have a grandfather on his mother's side. So this is one of the things that I that I realized was a mistake after like after I started saying it. What I wanted to say for late great Pappy was like his. You know, dead father. Oh. It was great. Gotcha. And then I realized the moment I say late great pappy, it sounds like he's saying grandfather. <laughs> yeah. And I think at one moment I waffled and started treating it as if, okay, it's separate people. But just as a clarification, when he says late great pappy, what he's really saying is his dad. Gotcha. And I, it's one of those things where it like comes out and I'm like... On paper, it sounded great, and the moment you hear it, and like trying to talk about it, like just trying to say late great pappy in normal conversation when he's talking about his dad, just didn't play off right. So I was saying pappy in that case, 
So, one of the regrets I have for my character. But um, as far as the the the, the history of that bloodline, I'm gonna have to listen and find out that one. Uh, Zach and Lena, do you two have any regrets about your characters? Hmm. I I tend to do this a lot with some of my characters because I don't I don't think of myself as a very funny person. So I I tend to play my characters more on the serious side. So um I do try to sneak in little moments of humor with Bella, but it's just not something that I'm super comfortable with as <laughs> as a person because I don't think I'm super funny. So um I wish that I could lean into that a little bit more and mm-hmm. sneak some more of those moments in. For sure, because I don't know. It's it's nice to temper the seriousness with humor. Well, and I'm gonna have to disagree with you that you're not good at it because there have been some moments where you just kill that. Um, yeah. John mentioned one of them earlier when you said that he was like a middle aged woman. <laughs> that was so perfectly on brand for Bell or for, for Bella, and then was just hilarious to boot. <laughs> like the, the delivery, the the timing, it was all it was it was great. So I think that uh, if definitely, if you feel like you want to lean into it, lean into it. But that's not to say that you're not doing a good job at it already. Well, thank you. I I feel like my my biggest regret with Finnegan is that um didn't bust down enough doors. Mm-hmm. Did not bust down enough doors. No. <laughs> Um, but also I feel like, I feel like as a character, he's kind of starting to kind of, uh, gel with me as far as what, uh, as far as solidifying him as a person. And it would have been nice to get to a little bit of Finnegan backstory just to, just to get, give it that little bit of extra oomph, uh, like we did with Bella, um, and so I'm exci- I'm excited, very excited to see where that goes, um, next season maybe, um, and onward. But I'm I'm excited to explore some of some of the bits of the character that we haven't really had a chance to explore yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that one of the things that I am kind of hoping to have for the next season is some more scenes, like if the pacing permits it, obviously. But just where our characters get to just talk to each other and get to know each other, like, on a personal level. So that's something that I'm excited for. Mm. Yeah. I know I already listed a regret, but I I want to talk about my biggest regret. <laughs> and that's trying to do the southern accent when I clearly can't hold it consistently. I feel so bad listening to episodes and then... Not only hearing myself popping out of the accent in and out throughout the episode, but then noticing that when I am on accent, it's different between episodes. So I, I regret attempting that when I, I think I wasn't really ready to try and do that in at least this kind of context where I can't rehearse. I, I don't think it's been that noticeable. I think that if it's if it's any if it's any consolation, it, I feel like it's it's really nice. Not, I I feel like it's actually really nice and fitting for Clytus, um, just because it 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 adds a little bit of like especially when you get that those elongated vowels in and everything like that. Like it it feels like it definitely feels like you're always trying to speak as the character, 
and it, it, it you may not think it works, but it really does work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, same, I, same I, thing I, I said like to Lena. Absolutely, on. like, you know, work on it if you think that it's a problem, but I also think you're in better shape than you're giving yourself credit for. That's good to hear. Thank you. Uh, Gladys Logan. And then, did you have anything that you'd want to try and see uh, next season, now that we've kind of heard uh, what Lena and Zach are looking forward to? Um, I think along with what, what um, Lena was saying, uh, it would be nice, I kind of felt like between our episodes, we were just constantly rushing from one quest to another. We're trying to understand the nature of them being these kind of preset of quests. It's kind of something you had to do. But it, it also kind of felt like we, we didn't really ever get a chance to actually get acquainted. We were just kind of thrown into things one from another. Mm-hmm. One of the moments that I really liked from the, the previous episodes is um, there was just like a small scene after Bella found out that Kelson was going to be marrying Veretta where she came into the bar that they were staying and uh, kind of had a little moment telling the guys what was up and she sounded a little bit shook up about it and they were like surprisingly tender with her about it and I really like that even though it was just kind of like a fleeting glimpse at this these interpersonal moments between them but it was really nice to see I I agree that that was one of that was probably one of my favorite moments of that as well I think we're pretty well set up to have uh, a couple more of those anyway, um, just with you guys kind of heading to set up shop at a hideout at uh, the Clytus Ranch, or the Logan Ranch. Mm-hmm. So I, oh, I think true. that'll be I pretty easy that's where to... where we were heading. <laughs> What'd you say, John? I said, that's true, I forgot that's where we were heading. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> once again, best laid plans go awry, because <laughs> I, I did not expect you guys to get kicked out of Luthadel. Or, uh, not Luthadel, Elendel, at the end of the episode. Uh, so I had to completely readjust my plans for starting next season. But I think that where it's ending up, we're really well positioned to have, like, some of that debriefing among the characters. Mm-hmm. I, I do know one, one thing I kind of want to do and kind of want to see happen is establishing how... Uh, especially in the case of uh, Finnegan and Bella, how they started, because we are we already know how Clyde uh, has entered the story, but as far as how they got together as a group of outlaws slash, um, uh, slash, uh, I mean, I mean, outlaws, and then I guess just random job doers, partners in crime, contractors. <laughs> <laughs> now quite literally yeah i think that at the very beginning we kind of established that bella hired him but she has no money so yeah <laughs> <laughs> you've got more than finnegan and that's enough <laughs> well not only that but uh i i think our group has been rather adept in getting money mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, we've had to spend it just as quickly, but we've been pretty good about coaxing even a little bit more out of the situation than one might have expected. 
I, re- I regret nothing about that chef disguise arc. That was so fun. <laughs> it's all the rage in Ellendale. <laughs> it's all the rage in Ellendale. <laughs> I just wanted to use that line so badly, and I got so many chances to use it, and I was so happy. <laughs> yeah, I like I like how it played out. And I love how everyone in the group picked up on the crackers as, okay, this is going to be the callback joke. <laughs> oh, that's why uh, that's why in... failures are sometimes better than successes. Uh-huh. It's true. That fight though, that fight. Oh man, oh, how man. did you how did you do that? How? I, don't I had know. you four to one. Freaking fairchemists. <laughs> That's I. If it helps, I used almost all of my charges for that. That that does make me feel a little better, because I dang. think I used I used a hundred and I think I got down to ninety charges left out of the two hundred fifty I started with. It'll be uh, interesting having to work with uh, limited charges, which you will get some back from uh, long long breathers. But I've wanted to kind of. Think- they just they give fair chemists so much. Um, that would be one of the critiques I have for the system is um, finding out that it just costs one charge to increase your die pool. That's insane. Like you, if you get two hundred and fifty charges to start, then you can do ten die pools every single time. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I remember reading people complaining about how unbalanced fair chemists were online. I think that we've done a good job limiting that here, both in Zach's showing restraint and not flaunting it every time, and then that we haven't given him any chances to recharge. Well, I feel like the idea for Ukimis is when they aren't actually actively using their powers. Like, it's kind of like a Waxillium thing where he lightens himself up to store his weight at all times, and I feel like it's the same way with Finnegan, is he only uses his actual strength when he needs it, and the rest of the time he's just passively storing it. And that's and that's how I that's how I feel Farukamis should be played. Yeah, definitely. And I I appreciate the fact that it hasn't been abused to the point of uh breaking the game. Mm-hmm. I I think we've we've done a cough, really good job David, of balancing cough. That. <laughs> And at the same time, you're able to really, really annoy your uh, narrator by taking four <laughs> people on at once. That was that was a lot of fun. It's a good fight, but that's that's also that's also one of the strengths of the game of the gameplay itself is how I was able to do that. Like I said, what I wanted to do, you told me what what I needed to do to do it, and um, it just it just happened to be one of those things where it worked out beautifully. Yeah, I find it a lot easier to set a target number here than if I were trying to DM in uh, Dungeons & Dragons and set a target DC. Um, it just it feels more intuitive to be like, okay, it's this difficult to do the thing, and then you want to do extra on top of it, so you have to get this number, and then since it's this fancy, you need two nudges. I will say, before we started that arc, uh, using a guy as, an, as nunchucks was not... On my expectations list. (laughs) You got the nudges to do it. I think that's a good moment to highlight, Trevor, how I think you've done a really good job as the DM. 
because while the system does provide the flexibility for you to do it, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, you can design it, but you have to actually design it. And I think you've done a really good job of adjusting things as you go. And I have played with DMs who have decided this is the path they're going and come hell or high water, they're going to do things their way. And you have not railroaded us. You've provided really good flexibility. And um, the fact that you've just kind of rolled with things. Uh, I absolutely loved how you were creative in recruiting those guys when it was a failure instead of doing the obvious like oh you didn't find anyone you were like oh you found some people but secretly they were not on our side and then you let that consequence kind of naturally play out we could have chosen not to bring them but we did choose to bring them and then you were able to kind of spring that trap and i thought that was an excellent bit of dmery yeah Thank that you. and the and the moment when Clytus recruited somebody again previously and <laughs> yeah. they were all um fake <laughs> yeah fake alamancers and just oh, like the way that you roll with the amount of bullshit that we throw your way is <laughs> nothing short of miraculous so hats off to you Thank you. I think that's one of the advantages of this system um, is I've tried to use some of the concepts from Monster of the Week where it's not as much about the DM making actions towards the player, but reactions towards how the players are interacting with the world is a little bit more of how I'm trying to look at it. Mm -hmm. And um, I like that a lot better than building an encounter and saying, this is, this is who you have to fight and um, yeah, like John said, the railroading can just be not fun at times. So I, I think I might have leaned a little bit too far into open-ended at times, especially with the first group. But at the same time, I also think that it's lent for some really great storytelling moments because it's such a collaborative experience that the Mistborn Adventure game uh, pushes its players into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I always think back to um, when when you were talking about that that second arc that we started, or I guess like after the, yeah. Um, the one where you said that usually people show up after the whole like rioting and stuff has started and that you just kind of like pulled it back a little bit further because you suspected that we were going to just like make everything go pear shaped anyways so we ended up being the impetus for the rioting to start in the first place. Yeah, I thought that was uh, that was a fun arc. <laughs> like I'm, I was, there was a lot of these that I'm looking through, and I'm like, no, this is for really like kind of an awful good party, and no, this isn't really going to work. And then I saw this one. It's just like, oh, they're sent to negotiate between these two sides, but then a riot breaks out, no matter what they do. I'm like, no, no, that's that's not how this. <laughs> and Mediate. we played into it we played right into it yeah it was it was tailor-made for you guys even though it was tailor-made not to be yeah no touchy <laughs> i love that and, whole us uh, i can't wait and to I, I, li <laughs> I like that we've had that baseline baseline of that where 
where it's like, yeah, let's start a riot. That's that's exactly what we do in this situation. Yeah. And that's and that's where that's where the absolute baseline is for this party. And then it just goes up in mayhem from there. The, the amount of times that we find ourselves surrounded by fire is truly amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why our dusters are all well roasted. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of uh, that Harry Dresden line. The building was on fire and it wasn't my fault. <laughs> Except in well, this case, the building's on fire, and it probably was our fault. There was well, yeah, one that, time that's when the it running wasn't. joke. There is there's so many times he lights buildings on fire that the one time that he's in one that's not on fire, he's just so pissed about it. <laughs> I really need to read this series. It's good. It sounds yeah, amazing. It, oh, it's gold. It's good stuff. Well, uh, does anybody have anything else they want to touch on before we wrap up? Um, I don't think that I got to talk too much about the uh, moments in the kind of story at large that I really enjoyed. So there were two moments that I really haven't been able to mention yet. Um, first of all was uh, Clytus just hanging out with Fella and walking around oh in God. circles telling him <laughs> stories. I loved that moment to bits. It was so good. And um, the other moment, if I can toot my own horn for a second, was um, Bella rioting Fella and it working. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had honestly, it's been probably over 10 years since I read the series. And so I had completely forgotten that um allomancy and like rioting or soothing in general is what works on like the coloss and all of that i had completely forgotten about that so um the rioting was just kind of like bella's last ditch effort to get this thing to calm down before it killed all of us and then it worked and my brain exploded <laughs> That uh, shot before the buzzer kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, I really. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that... we didn't get mauled to death. That's. <laughs> that, that was nice. It's never yeah. on my to do list. I'm also happy we got to resolve that without killing Fella. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, they're really. I, I don't feel like we had any bad arcs. Like, I think of any of the arcs we played, and my first instinct, instinctual thought is wow, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it surprised me as well. Um, maybe this is because we did kind of rush between such various or such very different settings, but just just how quickly it felt like we were a team. Because I think by the end of the first scene in Hamlet of Hemelurgy, I kind of came away from it feeling like, oh yeah, we've been on all these adventures. And then, like, when I sit and think about it, we'd only been on the one previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even now, I feel like, man, we've been through so much. But it's only been three arcs. Yeah, I get I get that same feeling. Like, I feel like, oh, hey, we've done so much together. And then it's like, wait, we really haven't done all that <laughs> much yet. And I think tying this back to the first thing that I'd said, that was kind of part of how I felt coming in is that um, with the way that Bella was interacting with Tavis, you know, just stealing his drinks right out of his hand, it almost felt like there was this established rapport that I had no idea what was going on and I was jumping into and like, what is all this history that's clearly there that I'm not aware of? <laughs> 
was no there rapport. Was no That's history. just Bella. That's <laughs> just Bella. But I, but I, I think that's a testament to the crew and and how quickly everyone has kind of been able to roll with it and get to that sort of familiarity with each other. Like even with a character like Tavis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless anybody has anything else that they want to uh, talk about before we get going, I think that should about wrap us up. So on that note, shout out again to Crafty Games for how generous they've been with everything. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Crafty Games is awesome. Um, the whole the whole team over there, anytime I've interacted with them, whether it's through email or uh, at Gen Con a couple of times, um, they're all great people. They have a wonderful product. They um, they just and uh, finished uh, or finished a Kickstarter. Doing a Kickstarter, Dollars to Donuts is a new board game that they have. So um, oh. let's go ahead and give them a shout out for a new product that they're launching. Um because they've been so generous with us. Like, if you guys like board games, check some of their games out. Obviously, check out the Mistborn Adventure game. Uh, but yeah, really great people, and I'm happy to have worked with them in order in this. Uh, even in such a limited sense, like it's nice to have the support of the creators. Oh, yeah. Like, and we can't thank you guys enough. Uh, same goes for Steve Argyle for letting us use his artwork. Um, yeah, he's got uh, the. Uh, Way of Kings 10th anniversary leather bound edition on the Kickstarter right now. Oh, so excited for that. He did such a great job with all of the artwork. He has a um, a lot of illustrations that are modeled after the old wood carving paintings that just turned out really, really cool. So um, that's another thing to check out uh, for people who have supported the show. And obviously that's a Brandon Sanderson thing as well. Um, so I probably don't even have to tell anybody about this, but <laughs> yeah, I love Steve Argyle, love his artwork, love Crafty Games. Obviously, we all love Brandon, and uh, we love okay. you guys for listening. So thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. Like, thank you. It's it's so nice to have something to keep me accountable to a role-playing session. <laughs> like it's I've played this is the longest two campaigns I've been in a part of ever in any system so that's and that's a lar- large part of that is because we know we have people who expect to hear from us so thank you for thank you for sharing this with us well, I guess I'm gonna take another moment at that note to say thank you Trevor for all the hard work you put in mm-hmm. thank as, you so uh, much I don't I don't I don't know if the viewers or listeners are aware but basically we each independently record our own audio so then Trevor takes four separate audio files and combines them into a single one. And uh, the the podcast is definitely 80% of the work is Trevor. And then the rest of it is kind of split up between everyone else. So thank you for all the hard work you put in, Trevor. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. Happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know where the chronology of this coming out will lie. Um, if it's... If this gets released where I expect it to, we should be back with the start of Season 2 and the first group in another two weeks, so we will see everybody then. Should we uh, give them a warning about the first episode? Oh, no. I don't Let's not. <laughs> well, the warning wouldn't really work, because this will be released after that, right? Or no, it, it should be... Released- uh, the the in between episode is going to be two different episodes, since we recorded gotcha. for an hour and 50 minutes for Scavengers. Which yeah, let's do another Scott shout out Avengers. to Anthony for recording Scavengers for us. Oh, yeah. uh, that was so much fun, and that was uh, a lot of fun. Anthony and the Adventure Incorporated podcast—they're really great. I absolutely love them. Go check them out if you need a D and D podcast to listen to. Um, and uh, Anthony's been a really great friend of the show as well. 
From the very get-go. Yeah, from from day negative one. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Mistborn and all related properties are owned by Brandon Sanderson and Dragonsteel Entertainment. The Mistborn Adventure Game, the Alloy of Law Supplement, and the Masks of the Past Supplement are owned by Crafty Games. Special thanks to Steve Argyle for letting us use his artwork for the logo, and to Boardroom Design for putting the logo together for us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at LLOS Podcast, or join our Discord community. We hope that you'll give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. And make sure you tell a friend who loves Brandon Sanderson. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time.